Hello und willkommen to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. I am joined by my favorite Twittermeister in the world, Tom Adams. Tommy, how has your day been? My day has been good. You know, I could definitely do without Byron's performances putting us through such uh, heartache and emotional roller coasters. It would be nice if we could just have like a regular convincing win. But, you know, that's just not the way Byron want to do things. Other than that, I would say doing well. Well, that's good to hear. Now, as you alluded to, we will be getting to our Deutscher Pokal match against Bochum first. After that, we will go and do another segment of After 90 Minutes talking about the game against Union Berlin. And then we go into our first newsroom segment that we've done in a while where we will be talking about certain things such as uh, the odds to replace Nico Kovac. And then we will finally go and get into the debate statistically over whether Thomas Muller or Philippe Coutinho is better. But as I mentioned, first things first, we will get into after 90 minutes DFB Pokal edition where we cover today's game against VFL Bochum, a team in the second division Bundesliga. They are currently 16th on set on nine points in seven games. If you did not listen to our episode of Der Ausblick, uh, I'm disappointed in you. But anyway, we talked about lineups. And we talked about how this team could have gone ahead and really tinkered with this lineup and this would be the last opportunity. I put out what I thought was a bold lineup on the podcast of a 4-2-3-1 with Alaba, Lars Lucas, Mai, Benjamin Pavard, Joshua Kimmich in the back, a central defensive midfield of Thiago and Goretzka, and then a front four of Alfonso Davies, Thomas Müller, Robert Lewandowski, and Kingsley Coman. I don't know if Niko Kovac listens to this podcast. If he does, hi, but I guess you got the wrong sentiment in terms of the idea that you could change and tinker with this lineup, and instead he went full Claudio Ranieri on this lineup and just decided to tinker man everything on this field. He started Alfonso Davies out of position out of his natural position, at least, at left back over David Alaba. He started a midfield three of Leon Goretzka, Corentin Tolisso, and Tiago, which I don't think is terribly bad. But then he did a front three of Coman on the left wing, Perisic on the right wing, and Serge Gnabry up front. And naturally, it did not go the way that we wanted. Cut to the 36th minute of this game, and an own goal happened on Alfonso Davies after a low cross in. I, I don't particularly blame the kid, right? If he lets it run, there was a guy right behind him who would, be, who would have easily been able to tap that in. And I personally don't think he would have been able to react to that in time. And I also don't think that he would have been able to, like, move his foot out of the way in time if he wanted to, like, go back in time and try to redo that play. And if he sent it to the left, then it just goes right back in front of another oncoming Byron defender. So I don't really blame Alfonso Davies for that one. It was just unfortunate body position for him. And then we went into the half down 1-0. 
Quick substitution, Robert Lewandowski for a very unimpressive Ivan Perisic. Then quickly after that, we got Philippe Coutinho coming on for Leon Goretzka in a lackluster homecoming game for Leon. And then Tomas Muller came on for Corentin Tolisso. A very interesting back-and-forth game really took place. Bochum kept running up and down the field following Bayern. Bayern put in some really good chances. Bochum really scared Bayern at some points. But then in the 83rd minute, a long cross into the box took a deflection right into the front of Serge Gnabry, who then calmly took that to tie it up. In the 88th minute, a red card was shown to Bochum's Armel Kotchap. He's a teenage defender. Uh, he got beaten by Thomas Muller, and he fell down and grabbed the ball as Muller was running with it. And then in the 89th minute, Thomas Muller scored, making it time for us all to celebrate Muller Wien once again. Uh, statistically, Bayern held 65% possession. They had 16 shots, 7 on target. Bochum had 6 shots, 2 on target. And there wasn't really one that had an advantage in any other statistical category other than yellow and red cards. Bayern didn't get carded. And Bayern also got more corner kicks by a score of 8-1. to one. So, a really unhelpful performance to Bayern's confidence, Tom. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? Well, I'll start by saying crisis averted um, well and truly. Uh, going back to, to point A that you were speaking about, to me, this uh, slightly peculiar starting 11 from Niko Kovac kind of screamed to me, you know, oh, oh boy, we are away at Frankfurt over the weekend. That's going to be tough. But oh my God, if I don't keep you know, a, a veteran core in the starting lineup for uh, VFL Bochum, and we suffer a shock exit in this round of the DFA ball call, like, it's going to be my head, and I'm going to be under more intense scrutiny than I ever have been uh, since I've been manager of Bayern and had some poor results this season, as well as the fall of last season. Uh, as you mentioned, Davy starting at left back after starting there against Union Berlin, um, Boateng, Pavard, Kimmich across uh, to round out the, the back line. Uh, and as you mentioned, I wasn't really too surprised. Obviously, the big homecoming was the subplot uh, for Leon Goretzka. Kind of disappointing that he didn't really um, stamp his authority on this one. Um, Tiago and Tolisso with him in the midfield. But yes, it was very bizarre to see uh, Gnabry start. Um, I guess you you want to call it a center forward or, or false nine. At times it looked like Goretzka was the highest one forward. At times it looked like Tolisso was right up there, kind of almost in between Gnabry and Perisic or Gnabry and Coman. Um, and in that respect, it did look uh, a little disjointed. Um, and, and what I would say about uh, Bolcom's approach to this game, that they kind of got spot on, especially in the first half, was um, just it seemed that Bayern would go through these cadences where it would be Boateng and Pavar, obviously the center backs, having a lot of time on the ball and possession to, and you know, time to distribute lateral uh, or slightly forward diagonal passes. There seemed to be a cadence where they would make three or four passes, and, and, and Bochum, you know, led by uh, Ganvula up front, Lee, Blum, Zahler. I thought they did a good job of picking and choosing, you know, when to really aggressively step in numbers at either, you know, Thiago if he was in possession deep in the half, Boateng, Pavar, Kimmich, or Davies. Um, 
they did a really good job, you know, balancing, uh, you know, went to step forward, perhaps if like Boateng or Pavard had taken a slightly heavy touch, um, even if they're nowhere near them by the time the ball is released, you know, th they're forcing the center backs or whoever has the ball deep in Bayern's half to make a safer, uh, more conservative pass or just send it back to Neuer to kind of restart the sequence. And I thought that that Bayern initially didn't do too well. Uh, as I mentioned, the cadence I'm referring to would be short pass, lateral pass, short pass, lateral pass, lateral pass, and then someone like Goretzka or Alcantara would pick it up, and it, it would almost seem as if one of those players who picked the ball up you know, midway through Bayern's half would just be frustrated or annoyed that that, that play wasn't forward-moving, and they'd kind of force the ball um, and, and turn 100% possession into a 50-50 ball, and then Bullcom, if they would win it, they would just try and spring forward and catch Bayern out as they would commit numbers forward and I just thought that there's there's have to there has to be ways um to break that cadence and I did remember during my live tweet I did point out that I saw Kovac at least what I interpreted as him you know instructing his center backs and midfielders to distribute the ball quickly you know I I saw him vociferously shouting uh, at Pavard when he was in possession at one point saying get rid of that quickly you know don't take the extra touch that you need to because I just think the more time they took uh, with that moving forward, you know, playing the passes out of the back, the more it suited uh, Volcom and the deep the deep block that they wanted to sit in. And then, as you mentioned, Davies, I, I agree with you completely. I actually thought he had a relatively strong game uh, aside from the own goal. I can see what he was trying to do. He was kind of trying to see it off and play it out for a corner because I think he did know that there was a, a Volcom player right behind him. You're probably right. That would have at least, you know, generated an effort if uh, Davies didn't step in and interject. But very unlucky, but as you mentioned, I thought the game changed uh, on its head. You know, with a simple change, putting a natural striker in an actual striker position and putting said player who was in an unnatural position in his natural position. I then I thought we started to see uh, more of a Bayern that actually looked like they were going to start creating chances uh, and break Bochum down, and eventually, you know. We did do that, and I had it in the back of my mind that the chances would come, and they surely did in the second half. But yes, crisis averted. Uh, as Hassan Salihamidzic had said, you know, we don't want to analyze this game or psychoanalyze this game too much. We got the job done, survived a big scare. Let's move forward. We have an important match uh, coming up this weekend. This may have been the moment that the anti-Kovac crowd in the audience has been waiting for, at least from me. This game was the very first time I ever really had a major concern about Niko Kovac as manager. Now, I'm not going to say that one game is going to absolutely blow my mind out of the water, especially a game that we won. If we lost, then I would... Um, then I wouldn't be talking about as calmly as I was right now. But here's my basic idea on this. After the 2018 World Cup, I was mad at Joachim Löw because he didn't change enough of his lineup from 2014. He still kept a majority of the pieces there, maybe a couple of his younger players, right? The whole... Benching Leroy Sané, or not bringing Leroy Sané thing, I was fine with that because he brought a more than capable player in Bront, but then he wouldn't start Julian Bront over like an older player like Marco Royce, even though Royce did a lot better in this World Cup. Conversely, Kovac changed too much, and I think 
my biggest concern going forward as we head into a series of very tough games starting this weekend against Eintracht Frankfurt is that if he wasn't able to really sort out a solid starting lineup by this point, then I'm very concerned about major games we have to play going forward against Mönchengladbach, against Borussia Dortmund, against other pl- other really top-notch clubs that we have to end up playing. So that's my main concern, is that maybe he still doesn't know what to do. And at this point, he's had over a year to deal with these players. I don't know. I think that if you are still struggling at this point, then I think that something is wrong. I'm not fully pressing the panic button or the fire button just yet, but count this as my first point of contention. How do you think this game will impact the legacy of Niko Kovac going down the line uh, from now, and what do you think this will do to the rumors of him potentially exiting? Well, immediately what first comes to mind when you ask that question were just some of the images of both uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Honus in the, in the stands during this game, especially after Bayern had gone 1-0 down. And the looks and the vibes I got from both of their faces were just completely bemused, like almost, oh, you know, here we go again. You know, it's going to be another one of those days. And I kind of split the difference as far as putting the blame on Kovac or putting the blame on the players itself. You know, Kovac has all managers, you know, in the situations in what we like to call English weeks where there's midweek matches and then weekend matches, you know, there's always very, very difficult decisions to make. Uh, that is why they are paid the big bucks to make them. Um, you know, so I kind of, when I say split the difference, I kind of want to say Kovac can get the tactics right, nail everything in training, but then with the starting 11 he picks, it's up to them to get the job done. And and what I see from him, I never see, I don't see a very passive manager, uh, a guy who's sitting down, you know, in the um, on the seats, on the bench, you know, uh, I see him converse with Robert Kovac's brother, uh, the rest of the coaching staff, Hassan Salihimidzic, and I constantly see him on the touchline shouting at his players. You know, I think maybe more of it comes down to how he's responding to situations in matches. You know, maybe that's not what he's getting right. It's difficult for us uh, to be able to interpret what exactly he's instructing uh, tactically to his players during the matches. Um, We can only basically go off of what they tell us, you know, in the post-match press conferences, you know, what kind of tactical switches they were making, you know, what they maybe said at halftime, what they're shouting uh, from the touchlines to their players. But, um, you know, just the body language uh, from some of the players sometimes when when things do go wrong for Bayern, which does right now seem to be a bit too often, you know, it's a little concerning to the point where uh, you're almost surprised sometimes when they do turn it around. I guess to answer the question holistically as well, um, uh, definitely, I would say the manner in which we've had our past couple of wins, three wins on the bounce now, Bochum, uh, Berlin, and Olympiacos, you know, never keeping a clean sheet. The problems in defense uh, seem to persist. Uh, so I think the timetable for him being able to figure out those issues has definitely shortened. Um, I think Bayern are not an organization or a brand or a club that will make a rash decision. Uh, everything will be... Uh, planned to a T. Everything will be extensively researched if they do need to make a switch prematurely. Uh, obviously, his contract goes for another couple of years. 
the pace of the fuse has perhaps sped up uh, in a sense because if he can't get these defensive issues uh, fixed, Bayern are going to continue to be a sieve at the back and it's going to cause them problems. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break right now, but when we come back, we will discuss the game we played at the weekend against Union Berlin. Hi, everybody. Now, before we get back to the show, I want to tell you all about an exciting contest we have for our listeners. We have now officially partnered with FC Bayern Munich's U.S. office, which will bring you listeners a better experience and will help us grow as a podcast as a whole. Now, to mark this occasion, we're doing a contest for our listeners where one of you will be able to win a signed jersey from none other than Thomas Müller in a contest we're calling hashtag Müllerween. Get it? Because Halloween. Now, what do you have to do to win? Just three easy things. Number one, go on Twitter. Follow us at BavarianFBWorks and be sure that you're following the Bayern Munich US account at FC Bayern US. Number two, tweet at us using the hashtag MullerWeen and share with us your scariest Bayern Munich moment within reason. And number three, download the first podcast we make after Halloween where we will announce the winner. You have until October 31st to enter the contest. Best of luck and thank you very much to Bayern Munich for agreeing to do this with us. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And now we are going to get into our second after 90 minutes segment where we cover the Bundesliga game we played at the weekend to FC Union Berlin, who has a very funny Bundesliga Twitter account, I should add. They do a very good job for a team that just got promoted. Uh, their banter going back and forth was hilarious. So Bayern won 2-1 to one on the weekend. Uh, Benjamin Pavard scored the first goal in the 13th minute. He hit this wonderful curled strike from distance, and it looked like the... It looked very similar to his goal against Argentina in the 2018 World Cup. I know that whenever Pavard scores from distance, we kind of say that, but, I mean, if that's your thing, then keep going with it. Uh, and then Bayern got contained for most of the rest of the first half, walked into the locker room up 1-0. And then in the 53rd, Robert Lewandowski scored a very funny goal. <laughs> he tried to play a pass to somebody else, but he basically like kicked it into like either the chest or the head of the defender right next to him. Uh, and the ball landed in front of Lewandowski's feet. So he just took it back and then shot it underneath the keeper's left side and scored and became the first player to score in the first nine consecutive games of the league in the league's history. So congratulations to Louis on that. In the 57th minute, there was a handball in the box by Ivan Perisic that resulted in a, in a spot kick, and Manuel Neuer saved it. He guessed the right side, uh, but in the 85th minute, uh, his luck ran out after Pavard just absolutely clattered into the back of Sebastian Poulter, who then stepped up to the spot and converted it, but there wasn't enough time to do much else. So that finished 2-1. to one. Union dropped one more spot closer to the relegation zone. They currently sit in 15th. Bayern, meanwhile, jumped up one spot, and the top four currently looks like Borussia Mönchengladbach, one point ahead of Bayern Munich on who sit on 18 points and then tied on points but ahead by one goal on goal difference is Freiburg over Wolfsburg uh 
Borussia Dortmund currently sit 5th place with 16 points. Leipzig sits 6th with 15. Tom, what were your thoughts on this game? Uh, now, this one was kind of bizarre in the sense that, you know, so much of Bayern's problems this season where we've suffered poor results, you know, come from comes from the defense uh, rather than the attack. And I, I thought in a strange sort of way that this one was kind of flipped the other way around, uh, especially with Davies getting the shout, the starting shout, I should say, at left back instead of David Alaba. I think maybe Kovac is... Uh, you know, he has one eye on the on the busy week ahead against Frankfurt and then Olympiacos again in the Champions League. And maybe that's why he's decided to utilize Davies two games in a row as opposed to Alaba. Alaba. But um, again, yeah, I do think this was a bit of, you know, two solid defenses on the day canceling each other out. I think that uh, Union for large portions did a really good job of containing Bayern uh, and forcing them to play. Um, you know, as I spoke about against the Boca match, you know, the, those cadence, those cadences they fall into where they seem to lack creativity uh, in terms of, you know, breaking down a deep block and playing the right ball and, you know, deciding to force balls into situations uh, where it turns it into a 50-50 ball instead of, you know, playing a pass that's, that's the safer option almost that they get a little bit uh, frustrated to play that safe, safer pass. Uh, at, at times, and you know, credit to guys like Butzler, uh, Christian Gentner. I thought he was a real star, stalwart in the middle of midfield. Uh, you know, keeping everything moving forward and keeping everything organized when uh, Union were switching from attack to defense and vice versa. But again, as you mentioned, some some very uh, bizarre. Uh, a bizarre mistake from Benjamin Pavard. He was kind of the pantomime villain in this game after uh, being the beneficiary of a. I, I guess you could say uh, Gikovic should have been uh, punching that a little bit better uh, off of uh, Kimmich's cross, but you can't take anything away from that volley. It seems like Pavard just when he decides to score, it just has to be a worldie and it has to be a volley. That's just the only way this guy scores. And if that's going to be how he's going to score goals for us, I have absolutely no problem with that. I will take that all day. Um, and then again, Lewandowski, the man is on fire. Congratulations to him again on, on breaking the record. He broke uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's record with Borussia Dortmund of scoring in the first eight Bundesliga matches of the season. Uh, obviously, Lewandowski has now done that in the first nine, and he is clear in front in the race for the Toriaga Kanon. And it, because Lewandowski is on such good form, I think we could say that he meant to flick that off the defender right back into his own path. That's kind of that was like a uh, and one mixtape street ball type I move. I wouldn't put it past um, him because Lewandowski is doing doing so good right now. That's what we're gonna say he did. He told him he meant to do that. Slots at home. Bang, two one. Thank you, Neuer, for saving one penalty. Nothing he could do about the second one. It was a well-taken pen. Very unlucky uh, circumstances for the first one, Pavard, with that little hiccup for the second one. And, yeah, 2-1 win. And, you know, things that, that we definitely need to uh, improve upon, uh, both attacking and defensively. But I thought this was a rare circumstance where our defense was a little bit better than our attack. Now, this is going to be a quicker segment, but because that's because we have a larger newsroom to get into. So we're going to take another break, but we'll be right back. Welcome back, and now we are going to get into our first newsroom segment that we have gone to in a while. And the first thing we are going to talk about will sound like music to some of our listeners' ears. There's been a lot of talk about replacing Niko Kovac, and a couple of names have been floated around, so I took the personal liberty of going to the internet and reading and looking at the current odds of managers to replace Nico Kovac. Uh, there's a website 
out there called I believe the sack.com or the sackrace.com and it analyzes which managers are going to be the very next to get uh, thrown out of their jobs. And when it comes to Bayern Munich, uh, they have some odds set up via the Irish sport book, Paddy Power. So, Tom, I'm going to have you react to these in real time, okay? You think you're ready for this? Oh, God, I hope so. All right, so... Leading everybody in the field right now, which leads me to believe that people think Kovac is going to get fired within like the next month. Um, leading is uh, former Leipzig coach uh, Ralph Ranić at seven to four odds. Following that is uh, following that's Jose Mourinho. Oh no! At eleven <laughs> to four. <laughs> Good lord! Please don't. Please don't have Jose Mourinho come no, in. No, please no. Third is Eric Ten Hag at 11 to 2 odds. Okay, okay. I know a lot of people will be appreciating that. All right. Fourth is Massimiliano Allegri. Yeah. Harder to believe, but I mean, I, I guess the odds make sense there on that one. 9 to 1. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, yeah, as far as odds, the the order should probably be a bit different. I think Ten Hag should it should have been Ten Hag, um, probably, and then uh, Ranić. Even though they just came out the other day and uh, Sport One, they said there has been no official contact yet. I think Falk even gave a, a a semi flex on that that was actually disputed. I mean, so that is a more realistic option because they didn't completely axe it. Though there has been no official, you know, quote unquote official. What does that even mean today? contact between Bayern god no not Mourinho funny enough fifth fifth place is current PSG coach Thomas Tuchel at 14 to 1 and then following closely behind him at 20 to 1 Adi Hooter wow okay do we go back to that Eintracht connection again yeah that that model oh wow I'm surprised he's even on there going back to Tuchel though I really want to know the summer that Kovac was hired, I want to know. I want to know all the juicy details. If anyone out there has it, like what exactly? Because it's obvious that it's come out that he was the front runner to take over uh, when Yup Heinkes left. I just want to know, like, what were the specific details that happened? Like, what was it? Just such a lucrative offer from PSG. Like, is he really enjoying his time there right now, collecting Ligons and Coupe de la Ligue and Coupe de France, and then? you know, bowing out of the Champions League and having a deal with a personality like Neymar right now. I, I really want to know the juicy details, whether it was uh, Rummenigge advising against it or Honus advising against it, or if there was too much of a power squabble there to the point where Kovac was someone they landed on where there was more of a civil mutual agreement and understanding. But please, if anyone has the details in that, I'd be really curious to know because that is one of the things. I mean, I remember we even asked a question, and Rafa Honigstein was on uh, ESPN FC talking about it, and he seemed uh, quite as sure as all of us that Tuchel was going to be the next man in line, and then that just uh, dissipated very quickly, and then he wound up in Paris. So I'm going to read off some of the more notables after after Adi Hooter. Uh, Poch is also at 20 to 1. Poch, okay. Reasonable. Tied at twenty-five to one is Julian Nagelsmann. Now that was a name. Arsene Wenger. Oh, just let it the guy enjoy retirement. And Yup Heinkes. Yup. 
come back yup everyone would love that frau heinkes would not love that and you know that no she would not <laughs> neither would his dogs the poor man just wants to spend time with his family his wife and his dogs and you can't blame him after everything he's done further down the list at 33 to 1 is brazo wow okay has he has he ever coached before is he like I don't know. I don't remember. I don't recall. But that would be bizarre, but watch him like come in and just absolutely crush it like treble first year. <laughs> That'd be hilarious, but I don't uh, That's interesting that he even made the list. Oh, there are some very very more interesting names. 50 to 1 Jurgen Klinsmann. Oh, a return for the Klinsinator. Maybe yeah. That's so tough. He had such a, a difficult time back when he was manager of us years ago. That's just tough, difficult to imagine. I, I feel like a lot of the fan base would completely turn on, you know, poor Herbert Heiner when he steps in as president. You know, if that happened under his watch, people would immediately be calling for his head, I feel like, and Oliver Kahn as well. 80 to 1, Carlo Ancelotti. Oh, <laughs> Don Carlo coming back. I'm just going to laugh at that and <laughs> wait to hear the next one if there's any more. 225 to 1, Franz Beckenbauer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's even funnier. I was just expecting like a current guy who's just like in, enjoying retirement for the last one or like some guy who's had a completely terrible like tenure like somewhere do you want a guy that's currently sitting in retirement that had a terrible tenure yeah because currently sitting at 500 to one dead last but still somehow on this list ladies and gentlemen the dutch master himself louis van hall oh my god somehow on this list at 500 to one the listeners need to realize that this i like specifically had no like no like pre-noting of this like i had no idea i'm just listening to these raw and i just set that up perfectly like completely by chance that's absolutely hilarious that is that and is all i'm all <laughs> i'm thinking of right now is uh his little antics when he was describing a foul to the ref when he was coaching man you and he literally just fell down and all of the memes that were created after that that was one of the greatest things ever Louis now Van I'm Hall. have to go back and look at all of those. Louis Van Hall and Arsene Wenger are both absolute meme machines at this point. The one that kind of yes. makes no sense to me is Zidane is at 500 to 1 as well. I guess that kind of means that Sneaky. they don't expect him to get fired at Real and then it would be yeah. he would have to get fired and then he would have to come to Bayern but at the same time right like Carlo would have to get fired from Napoli and then come to Bayern because there's no way yeah. that he would come back unless it was just like an absolute opening yeah. other weird ones like Lucien Favre was at 33 to 1 right Laurent Blanc was yeah, at 33 to 1 like I know our our own uh, Marcus Yerdal would be very irritated to hear the Favre one. He is very much uh, a proponent of pointing out how much of a second season flounder he is. He is. He he very much. Whether is. it's Nice or Dortmund or wherever else. Dieter Hecking was at forty to one. Like Willie Sagnol was at sixty six to one. Right. Like Sagnol. that would be like some of these would be interesting, but a bunch of these are just like dumb. Like Beckenbauer coming back. Like come on. <laughs> Gerd Muller. Kurt Muller, right? <laughs> well, oh, watch that. Watch that space. And then Lewandowski breaks his record on the last day of the Rukuranda. And it's like a ceremonious passing of the torch yeah. slash cannon. 
No, or it's like on the day that he does it, that's when they announce. And they shoot him. They shoot him out of a of a, of a life size Toriyager con. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> it just like does a couple of flips and then lands on the center of the podium and gets a gets a beer shower that, from that Lee. would do it that would absolutely <laughs> that would absolutely you got to trademark that idea I, just in case i that need happens. to trademark that and we need to get that done so that we can possibly do that in the future yes uh but we're gonna move on to our second and final newsroom story which is pros- probably one i have been looking forward to do for a little while um not not like the main reason behind why we're talking about this, but um, like what it'll produce. Uh, it's a conversation and something I thought I would save for a before we go, but I think now might be a better time than ever considering the form of these two players in recent days. Um, Nico Kovac was recently quoted as saying he was upset at the uh, boss at the Brazilian national team for starting Coutinho so often, saying that he was getting tired all the time uh, when he was playing for Bayern, and saying that he was basically alluding to the fact that the Brazil boss was being selfish and said that Coutinho should get some rest in international games. Uh, I think that's a bold statement to make, because you have a more than capable number 10 in Thomas Muller, and you've been starting Coutinho so often, you know, maybe, and here's a wild thought, you should rest Coutinho and not start him and give Thomas a spot and give him a starting spot. And so that's what this is going to be, right? We're going to compare both of the stats. They both have played 11 games. Now it's relatively fair and even, and at the end, I'm going to get to my point about both of these players because I think it'll be different than what you expect with me being a massive Thomas Muller fan. Uh, Tom, what I'm going to ask for you to do is make a tally list of every time one player uh, wins a category, quote-unquote wins a category, okay? Do I have to physically tally it down, or am I just giving the nod to one or the other? Yes, so, like, physically write down the tally so that at the end we can have, like, we can see, like, who uh, does what. So, for reference for everybody, I'm going to be referencing offensive output in the Bundesliga and the Champions League. For goals and assists, I'll be taking all competitions, so including the Pokal. And the reason why I've decided to do that is because with only two games played, we're probably not going to have much statistical evidence for the Pokal. So, that's the reason why I've decided to do that. So... Both of them have two goals. Muller has five assists. Coutinho has four assists. This is in all competition. It should be noted that of the 11 appearances both have made, Muller has only started four times, while Coutinho has started nine. Coutinho has a rating of 7.39 in the Champions League. Muller has a rating of 7.28. Coutinho in the Bundesliga has a rating of 7.32. Muller has a rating of 6.71. In terms of offense, Coutinho has 2.3 shots per game to Muller's 1.3. C- 
Coutinho has 1.9 key passes per game to Muller's 1.2, and Coutinho has 1.5 dribbles per game to Muller's 0.3. That's Bundesliga. In the Champions League, it's even worse. <laughs> Coutinho has 5.3 shots per game to Muller's 2.5. He has 2.3 key passes per game to Muller's 1.5. And he has 2.7 dribbles per game to Muller's 0.5. In terms of pass percentage in the Bundesliga, Coutinho has 82.8% passing to Muller's 77.6. And in the Champions League, Coutinho has an 81.2% passer rating to Muller's 71.4. Now there are two stipulations to this, and you don't need to write these down, Tom. There are two stipulations for this. Coutinho attempted 457 passes combined in the Bundesliga and the Champions League. Muller attempted 220. And that's possibly because Muller starts less and gets a lot less playing time. In all 11 games, Coutinho has 8 games of over 80 minutes. He has only one game of less than 10. Thomas Muller has three games where he had over 80 minutes and four games under 20. Important of which, his least amount of time was seven minutes in the Champions League and he scored. He came on for Philippe Coutinho. So it's telling, but here's my point. And this is the part where everybody might get a little confused. I don't think either player is worse than the other at all. I think on the surface, we have two very good, freaking great players on this team. So there are two messages I'd like to say. First, to the very pro-Muller crowd, of which normally I would be, ball don't lie. Coutinho is not a bad player whatsoever. And I don't think there are many Muller fans out there that would say Coutinho is a bad player. Yes, his statistical output is one assist less than Thomas Muller, but on ball, in terms of passing and off ball, he does a pretty good job. He contributes a lot to the build-up, the play, getting fouls, getting free kicks for the team, so he does a pretty good job, right? And for the pro-Coutinho fans out there, Muller does really well for the little amount of time that he gets. So am I advocating for one over the other? No, I don't think so. I think Coutinho is a versatile player, and he naturally had time on the left wing at Liverpool, as you would attest to, Tom. So my logic is, and then I've said this before, start them both. Find some way to start them both, because I guarantee you if you pull up Coutinho's stats and you pull up Kingsley Coman's stats as much as I love Kingsley you're not going to get the same player by a long shot I guarantee that if you pull up Muller's stats and you pull up stats against Kingsley Coman he's also not going to be anywhere close in terms of contributions and again right Muller's getting little to no time Right? Because outside of the three times that he's gotten plus 80 minutes, only one of them he played a full 90, right? A lot of other times it's like 35 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, 10 minutes, 7 minutes, right? Like you've got a great player just languishing on the bench. 
if I was Nico, I would try my hardest, my damnedest to find a way to get them all onto the field because they are all very good players. Right now, resting is, of course, a major, major aspect. But if we're going to Tottenham, right? Granted, we won 7-2. But if we're going to Tottenham and Thomas Muller, who's been performing very well, isn't necessarily on that pitch, I think you kind of have a problem. I think you're selling yourself short. Because to me, Thomas Muller deserves about as much playing time as anybody else on that bench. 100%. It's so crazy to think about. Like, it's... 2019 and footballing technology, statistical recording technology has been so advanced. But as you mentioned, um, as far as, you know, examining the effectiveness of Thomas Muller, as Yep Heink has described him, his effervescence, you know, there's things that you just can't uh, quantify or statistically record just his influence on, you know, spatial creation, like against Bochum, for example, like he was creating those pockets of space against a deep block that were necessary to be created for us to find those those chances late in the game. And that that that's so much of what he does. And, you know, little things, as you mentioned, taking fouls, you know, putting his body on the line for the team. That's, I guess, maybe something that could be statistically recorded as far as how many times he's fouled, but something that maybe Coutinho doesn't do as much. Someone who will maybe uh, back out of a 50-50 challenge, as I know from watching him for so long at Liverpool, um, and for this short period of time at Bayern. Um, but I, I do think you're right. I think there has to be a way for them to share the pitch. I think the only uh, issue there that Kovac has to worry about is, you know, who do you sacrifice? Or obviously neither of them are holding midfield players. So, you know, do, are you sacrificing a midfielder player like Javi Martinez or Taliso, who's going to hold next to uh, Tiago um, and keep the center of the midfield intact? Um, or who are you going to take off, you know, Coman or Gnabry? I think you bring up a good argument. I think maybe Coman uh, could be sacrificed at times for that, given his decision-making and, and final product in the final third. Everyone, I think, is in agreement that he he could use a little improving uh, as far as that's concerned. So, yeah, maybe uh, utilizing Coutinho on the left, that's something that we haven't seen much of yet at Bayern. Um, so I think that is something that he should absolutely be honing in on and utilizing in the future. And, and the one defense I would have with him, um, you know, squabbling against the Brazil coaches, it is, you know, it's different with the European guys who go away for the Euro 2020 qualifiers. But um, with the South Americans going away, it's essentially just international friendlies. And a lot of them take place in like Asia or uh, I think even Brazil played once in the Middle East within the last uh, two international breaks. And it, it's just kind of like those are pointless matches. And I get it. It's It's kind of like a marketing thing. Um, and a television opportunity, but, um, you know, that's a lot of traveling for like an un unnecessary game, but you also have to look at it, you know, it's a player having pride in wanting to play for their country. Like you can't knock them for that. I know that we had our squabbles with the French footballing federation with, uh, Hernandez's knee problem. And that's basically at this point, rubbing salt <laughs> into the wound, given his long-term injury, uh, spell, but the player has the right and FIFA rules, you know, regulate to where, uh, you know, a club's front office or coaching staff can't hold the player, you know, against their will. So if they want to go, they want to go. But I understand where Kovac is coming from in that respect. But you're absolutely right. Just to tie that all together, there has to be um, a more, um, or I should say the frequency at which these two share the pitch should increase moving forward. By the way, who won the tally? Pretty much Coutinho. Um, on paper, he won 85% 
of those tallies. But as you mentioned, the sample size for Mueller uh, was just so different uh, than it was for Coutinho, given he's played so much more than Mueller this season. Uh, it's a bit ridiculous to see. It absolutely is. And in speaking of Mueller, you have one more day to enter our Mueller Ween contest. Be sure to read the blog post or re- listen to our last episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works show to learn the contest details. So with that, we are going to go ahead and wrap up our latest episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. I'd like to thank Tom Adams for coming on and contributing. You can follow him on Twitter at TommyAdams71. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. And you can follow the blog at BavarianFBWorks. And BavarianFootballWorks.com is your one-stop site for Bayern and German soccer news. So with that, thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, and subscribe. Thank you to all the listeners for 50,000 downloads. It's a phenomenal accomplishment that we were able to reach over the weekends, and I can't thank you all enough for that. And until our next episode of Der Ausblick, when we go over the weekend's match against Eintracht Frankfurt, we will see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.